If you're new to Destiny this morning, welcome. We're so glad that you're here with us. My name's Matt Bell. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and I have the pleasure of bringing you the Word of God this morning. And so uh, if you would, open with me in your Bibles to Philippians. Yes, we're still in chapter 1. Uh, Philippians chapter 1. We're, we're in a series um, going, going through the book of Philippians. And uh, to go through the book of Philippians, we have to go through the first chapter of Philippians. And uh, we're taking our time going through uh, this passage of Scripture uh, because, number one, we believe that all Scripture is inspired by God and is the Word of God. Amen? Is that what we believe? Yes, it is. Oh, come on, Destiny Church. Am I at Destiny this morning? Do we believe the Bible is the Word of God? Amen. Okay, thank you. Um, And so... We're in a series, within a series, uh, looking at this prayer that the Apostle Paul prays for this church in Philippi, and, and contained within this little prayer is the blueprint for the Christian life. Contained within this little prayer is the, the roadmap for the Christian life, how to live the Christian life in verses 9 through 11. And it culminates, of course, it culminates in in our lives bringing glory to God. And that's what we want, isn't it, as believers, that we would bring glory to God, our Creator, that we would bring glory to His Son, Jesus Christ. We don't want to bring reproach upon the name of Christ, amen, but that we would bring glory and honor and praise to God, our Creator. And so that's, that's what we all want. That's what we all desire but how do we get there? What, what do we have to do? What are the steps, the, the roadmap, the, the, the mile markers along that path? And they're all contained right here in these three verses. And so we're going to look at them again today. We're going to move a little bit further down the road uh, this morning. So 1 Corinthians, not 1 Corinthians, sorry, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 9. Paul writes, he says, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve of what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Father, as we spend time in your word today, I pray that you, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, that we would hear from you today. Lord, we are your people. You have called us by name. You have singled us out in the world, calling us out of the world, Lord, to live for you, to be your people, to be your children. Lord, as we spend time in your word, help us to understand what that looks like. Help us to understand how we live now as your people, how we live now as a part of your family, how we live as your children. Lord, we want to bring honor and glory to you. Lord, if there's any area in our life that that is not bringing honor and glory to you, Lord, I pray today that you would reveal that to us as we we move through this passage of Scripture today, that, that the conviction of the Holy Spirit would rest upon our hearts. Lord, that we would become laser-focused on the call of God that you've placed on our lives. That that we would say no to the distractions. That we would say no to to anything and everything that would take us off the course that you have for us. 
and that we would say yes to you and that we would say yes to the call of God that you have on our lives and that we would say yes to following after that call that would ultimately bring you the most glory, bring you the most honor, bring you the most praise. Lord, that is the desire of our heart. Lord, we we submit all of these things to you this morning. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. So last week, we focused on this little word in verse 9, this little word that was really important. And I don't know that I've ever really heard a message preached on this word before, but I, I definitely preached a message on the word with last week, with. In verse 9, it says that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. And so last week, we, we looked at what does love with knowledge and discernment look like? And we talked about last week how, yes, it is good to love God. Amen? Amen. Yes, we must love God. And in fact, that's where the Christian life starts. That's where the Christian life begins. It begins with love for God. But along this pathway, there are six other steps to bringing glory to God. And, And the next one after love for God is that we would love God with knowledge and all discernment. And while many today would boast that they love God, what does that actually mean? How do we know what that means? Because loving God is more than simply saying, I love God. Amen? Amen. Loving your spouse, loving your wife, loving your children is, is a lot more than just saying, I love you. Saying, I love you is definitely a part of it, right? And when we come and we worship the Lord and we profess our love and our devotion for the Lord, that certainly is part of loving the Lord, but it doesn't stop there, right? So we must love God with knowledge and discernment. And if you truly love God, if you truly love anyone, you will be devoted to that person. And so if you love God, you will be devoted to him. If you love God, you will be faithful to him. And just like any other person, if you love God, you will want to know God. Amen? You will want to know who he is. You will want to know how he thinks. You will want to know what what he is interested in and what he is excited about and what brings him pleasure and what brings him joy. You will want to know his nature. You will want to know his character. If you love someone, you want to know them. You want to be close to them. Jesus said in the greatest commandment, he said, you must love the Lord your God with all your soul with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. And so loving God includes this, the mind that God has given us. We looked at last week that, that the Christian faith is not a mindless faith. It's not a faith of just pure emotionalism and feelings, though certainly there are good feelings in serving the Lord. Amen? But that's not all that there is. Amen? That we must love the Lord with our Minds And so how do we do that? Well, we looked last week that we must add to our love knowledge and discernment. Knowledge, where do we get knowledge of God? Where do we learn about God? Well, we can learn about God in creation, right? The heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens preach a sermon 24-7 that God is real, that God exists. It preaches things to us about God. We can know that God is a God of order. We can know that God is a God of faithfulness. 
We can know that God is a, a masterful designer. We can know a little bit about the mind of God and, and his intelligence. We can know about the power of God from creation. So we can learn about God from creation. But to truly know God, we must look to his word, his self-revelation to us. And ultimately, that word made flesh, Jesus Christ. And so if we want to know God, we must know his word. We must know the son of God, Jesus Christ, our Lord. But then we also must move beyond knowledge and into what is called discernment. Now that we know the truth, now that we know the word of God, we can discern what is true and what is false. Amen. We can now discern what is good and what is evil because we now know the word of God. Now, again today, I want to draw your attention to another small statement, another transitionary statement right at the beginning of verse 10. So that, everybody say, so that. So, so now we're zeroing in on, on some implications, loving the, loving the Lord, loving God, abounding in our love for God, adding to our love for God, knowledge of God, knowledge of his word, that that knowledge would produce discernment in our hearts. Why? So that, so that you may approve of what is excellent. I want you to see that what follows after this is only made possible by what has come before it. We can only approve of what is excellent if we have discernment. We can only have discernment if we have the knowledge of God and of his word. And we can only love, have knowledge of God and his word if we love God. And why do we love God? Where, what is, where does that even start with? Well, what does the Bible say? We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. And so all of this is made possible from A to Z, from Alpha to the Omega, because God has loved us. But you will not be able to approve of what is excellent without discernment, without knowledge, and without a love for God. So this word approve, what does this word approve mean? I'm not going to try to pronounce the Greek word for you this morning. It's one of those very hard ones, but it means to test, to test, to evaluate, to allow, to, to discern, to examine. For you to approve of something, you, you must first have thought about it, right? Examined it. Put it under the microscope, tested it. That's what approve means. And the question arises is, as we examine something and, and we're trying to see if it's excellent or not, if we're trying to decide should we approve of this or not, of course the word excellent, it, that means to differ. It, it doesn't mean the, the norm. It doesn't mean the status quo. Excellence doesn't mean subpar, right? It, it means a cut above. It means to differ. It means to surpass. It means to be better than. It means to have more value than something else. And so if we're going to approve of what is excellent, if we're going to test things to see if they are excellent, the question that immediately arises 
is a, is a phrase that I want you to add to your vocabulary. It's a phrase that I'm using a lot these days that every Christian needs to have at the ready, at the ready. You need to be ready to pull this phrase out that I'm about to share with you. You need to take it, you need to bury it deep within your heart, and you need to think about this phrase a lot in the world that we live in today. If we're gonna approve of what is excellent, the question that arises is this, by what standard? By what standard? Well, what are we measuring up against? Well, what is our standard of measurement for what is excellent, for what is good, for what is evil, for what is right, for what is wrong, for what is true, for what is false? By what standard? If we're going to test, if we're going to discern, if we're going to examine, we have to examine it against what is true, what is right, what is good, what is holy, what is just, what is righteous. That's the standard that we use as the people of God. Amen? Amen. Now, how many of you know that the world has a different standard of measurement? The great problem, one of the great problems uh, in the church today is that the church is using the world's standard of measurement to approve of what is good and what is evil, to approve of what is right and what is wrong, to approve of what is true and what is false, that, that the church has gotten sucked into approving of things, not based on the standard of God, but the standard of the world. By what standard? If someone says, this is good, this is great, this is wonderful. This is something that should be lifted up and celebrated and promoted. Immediately the question should arise, this is good? By whose standard is this good? Someone uh, issues uh, uh, or, or says that this is something that should be done. This is something that, that everyone should be doing. We should immediately stop and say, by whose standard? By whose word are we taking this action? By what standard? You know, we in America use the imperial standard of measurement. And I think we're one of the last modern countries to use the imperial standard. Most of the world has moved on to the metric system. But we don't use meters. We don't use kilometers. We use... Miles, we use feet, we use inches. Now, I'm not here to argue the merits of imperial standard versus metric standard this morning. But what I am going to tell you is that we all know that uh, one foot has how many inches? 12 inches. Right? Is 11 inches a foot? By what standard? The imperial standard. That, that's the standard. That's, that's the measurement. The imperial standard was made and brought into effect in 1826 by the United Kingdom. Of course, they've moved on from the imperial standard. They've moved on to metric system. Again, I'm not here to argue the merits of one or the other. But it was developed in 1826 because the, the reason it was developed is because there was all of these other competing standards. There were, there were some places that 15 inches was a foot. How many of you know that would be a little bit confusing? 
right? If you need pants that are two and a half feet long, and you order two and a half feet long pants and they show up and they're four feet long, by what standard are we using? So they, they, they issued a decree. They had the authority in their country to say, from now on, here is the standard. And they issued official weights and official measurements. And, and if you wanted to know what the standard was, you could go and measure, it, measure your foot against their foot. And, and that established the standard. Now, it doesn't matter how much I want 11 inches to be a foot, it will never be a foot. Right? Unless some governing body, unless some authority decides to change the standard, then we all have to get on board with what the authority says. Now, what if God had said 12 inches is a foot? What, had God, what if it said that in the Bible? Then it doesn't matter what anybody else says. Right? Because the, God is the, the highest authority. There's no authority above God. Jesus himself made that ultimate claim. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Past tense. So it's not that, just that God has authority in heaven. No, Jesus Christ has authority on earth. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Past tense. That the Father has delivered unto Jesus in his ascension all authority in heaven and on earth. And so as we're examining what is excellent, what is better, what is of more value, what surpasses other things, it's what God's word says is excellent. It's not what we say. It's not what any other person, any other so-called authority, because they are under the authority of God, his son, and his word. So what is excellent? God's ways are excellent. God's laws are excellent. God's thoughts are excellent. Amen? What is not excellent? Our ways. Our thoughts. Sinful humanity. Separated from God. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, a very familiar passage. God declares, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Well, how, how much of a separation, God, is there between our ways and your ways? Is it, is it just a little bit? Is it just a, a centimeter, God? Is that the... The separation between our ways and, and your ways, they, there certainly can't be that much of a difference between our ways and good ways because we're pretty good, you know? Well, thankfully, the Lord immediately answers that question before we can even answer it. He says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts, your thoughts. So how much higher are God's thoughts than our thoughts? A lot higher. How much higher are God's ways than our ways? Well, we've discovered that in fact, the universe, the heavens keep expanding. They keep expanding. And so God's ways are infinitely greater than our ways. God's ways are, thoughts are infinitely higher and greater 
than our thoughts. It's not a small gap. It's not a medium-sized gap. The, the gap is immense. The gap is, 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 is only bridged by the cross of Jesus Christ. And in fact, it's a, it's a gulf that exists between humanity and God that can only be bridged by the God-man, Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the way. The way. So we cannot, as God's people, approve of what is excellent unless our knowledge is informed by the word of God. We cannot approve of what is excellent unless we use that knowledge with discernment. And so we must not allow our lives into our lives things that are not excellent according to the word of God. By what standard? This is the standard. This is the standard. This is the only standard that matters. Why? Because this is God's word. God has spoken. And that settles everything. That settles everything because he has all authority in heaven and on earth. In heaven and on earth. So I want you to think right now. I want you to just, let's just pause here for a moment. Just you and the Holy Spirit right now. Are there things in my life that I have approved of that do not fit God's standard of excellence? Are there things in my life? Are there things in my family? Are, are there things that I have approved of that I have allowed into my life, into my heart, into my belief system that God does not approve of? That God declares not as excellent, but as sinful. You notice here, he, he's, he doesn't say approve of what is just okay. Uh, approve of what is passable. Approve of what is so-so. Approve of what you can get away with and still slide into heaven. No, he says for the people of God, for the children of God, for those who love God, who want to please God, who want to bring glory to God. If we're going to bring glory to God, we, we must only approve of in our lives the things that God approves of. The things that God calls good. The things that God calls excellent. You know, my dad, he, he was someone that for me modeled this way of living um, to what I felt as a child was the extreme. He modeled this way of living. I remember often as kids, we'd be watching television. I know none of you guys do that, but we would watch television and <laughs> we'd be watching some show or some movie and without fail, I mean without fail, my dad would walk through the living room and as he passed through the living room, someone would say some four-letter word, right? Someone would say, you know, bleep, bleep, blank, blank, whatever. And I promise you, up until that second, there had not been one foul word. There had not been one off-color joke. 
there had not been one thing that was not excellent. But as soon as my dad walked into that room, and he would just say, what are you watching? What is this garbage? Turn this trash off. Go outside and do something with your lives. You know, he'd, we'd, she'd shut that down so fast. We'd say, Dad, it's your fault. If you hadn't walked through the living room, they wouldn't have said it. <laughs> I, 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 my brother Mark is here this morning. Without fail, God's honest truth. Am I telling the truth? I'm telling the truth. I mean, he would hear one word. He'd say, shut that, shut that off. We're not watching that. Not in my house. That was his standard. That was his standard. Because he had informed his standards by the word of God. Because he had taken this to heart to only approve of what is excellent. I remember one time there was this movie that came out in the, the mid-90s. I'm not going to tell you the movie. But it was, it was billed as a visual spectacle. It was when computer graphics were kind of coming along and it was this, you know, amazing visuals, visuals, visuals. You have to see this movie. It's just the most incredible experience. And so my dad took our family down to the IMAX to see this movie, Downtown River Center, San Antonio. And here starts this movie. We're so excited. We didn't go see very many movies as kids. In fact, in the 30 years that I knew my dad, I only knew him to go see four movies in his entire life. This movie, The Omega Code. If you know what that is, you know why that's hilarious. Toy Story 1. You got a friend in me. And Star Trek. Okay. My, my dad was a bit of a Trekkie. Okay. But he only ever saw one Star Trek movie, movie in the theaters. Only four movies in his whole life. And so to, for us to go to a movie with my dad at the IMAX, downtown San Antonio, River Center, to see this visual spectacle, we had been looking forward to this for, for a long time. We had been pestering my dad, please, dad, please, dad, please, dad. So finally, as every worn out dad who's tired does, gives in and takes us down to see this movie. We go, we get the popcorn. You know, our whole family is probably $4 million to go see a movie, you know. <laughs> all a hundred of us and lugs us all into this theater. We plop down, we sit down and oh, the previews start. Oh, man. We made it through the previews. I don't know how we made it through the previews, but we made it through the previews. But then this movie starts. And oh man, it is four letter word city. It is just blankety blank this, blankety blank that. And I'm just, oh, I'm just squirming in my seat because I'm with my dad and I know, I know my dad. And about five minutes in, it shifted from blankety-blank this to blankety-blank that to a lady in the shower. And my dad said, all right, we're out of here. Stand up, get up, we, we're, we're not watching this trash. And he got his family up and we marched out of that movie theater. That was the end of that. 
Now, did my dad think that we would go to hell if we watched that movie? No. Was my dad worried about the destiny of our eternal souls that day? No, of course not. That's not the issue. But my dad had standards. My dad had convictions. Something that most professing Christians today lack sorely. So let me ask you, what are your convictions? What are your convictions? What are your standards in your life? Are they excellent? And I'm not asking you to align your standards with Dave Bell's standards. I'm saying, how do your standards line up with God's standards? I'm not holding up my dad this morning. I'm holding up the word of God. How do your standards line up with God's standards? How do your convictions align up with God's convictions? Do you approve of what God disapproves? Are your standards informed by the word of God or the world in which we live? Now, how many of you know there's some things that our culture approves of that God does not approve of? I don't even know that our culture holds up some things as excellent that God's word decrees is absolutely abominable. What does God's word have to say about that? Isaiah 5.12, God says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. We live in a culture today that is holding up evil and calling it good. That's the bottom line. And God says, woe to you. Woe to you who call evil good. It's not just one place. I could give you reference after reference. I'll give you a few more this morning. Proverbs seventeen fifteen. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. So the, the, the judge who would let the guilty go is an abomination to the Lord. A judge who would condemn the righteous is an abomination to the Lord. We live in a society today that is letting the guilty go and punishing the righteous. And it is an abomination to our God. Luke 16, 15, Jesus, the words of Jesus. You say, Pastor, those are Old Testament. We live in the New Covenant. Jesus is different. Jesus is mellow. He's like this cool hippie guy, you know? Jesus. We're just feeling the love, feeling the peace. Jesus. Well, what does Jesus say? Luke 16, 15. You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. What does Jesus do? He comes and he upholds the Old Testament. Jesus says, I didn't come to do away with the law. I didn't come away to do away with the standard of righteousness. 
He says, I've come to uphold the standard of righteousness and to fulfill God's standard of righteousness. To fulfill it on behalf of us who cannot. To take our place. But Jesus didn't come and abolish the law. He upheld the law and he fulfilled the law. And so what are some things that are happening in our culture today that the world calls excellent and, and God's word says is, is not? How about secularism today? Secularism, the, the ideology, the worldview that, that totally, absolutely rejects God. Totally, absolutely rejects the concept and the notion of God. Totally and absolutely rejects the fact that there is a creator Amen. Who rules over his creation. Who has, who has made the world and its laws. And its laws are good. A representation of his good nature and character. But our culture today rejects God. You know, we sing that song today. God of creation. God of creation. That is our God. We live in a world that has rejected the son of God. The son of God. Because they reject the word of the Son of God. They reject the fact that Jesus is the way, period. You see, you can be accepted by the world if you will just change the word the into the word a. Uh. All you have to do to be accepted by the world is say that Jesus is a way and not the way. You change that one little word, you'll be accepted by the world. But Jesus did not say, I am a way. Jesus said, I am the way. Amen. The world rejects that notion. And so the world has rejected Christ. The world has rejected God's word as the standard. And so what is the standard for our world? If it feels good, do it. Follow your heart. Is that not the standard for our world? What does God's word say about the heart of man? Jeremiah 17 verse 9. It is desperately sick and wicked. And who can know it? Who can understand it? That we don't even have the capacity within ourselves because our hearts are so deceitful above all else to even know how sick we really are. So how in the world could we ever know it? By comparing it to the standard. The standard. And the world has rejected God's word as the standard. And it's, it's the same as the Garden of Eden. Satan came to Eve. He said, God says this, but you don't do that. You do your own thing. You do you, Eve. You do you, girl. Don't live under God's rule, God's authority. You can be like God. You can have, if you will eat of this tree, your eyes will be opened. If you will eat from this tree, you will be woke. Is what he's telling you. That's what he's saying. Your eyes, you will be awakened to the truth and the reality 
selling opened eyes, but really giving and delivering deception and bondage. Selling freedom, but instead locking people in chains and in bondage. It's the same thing. Our world has bought into that lie that we don't need God's standard. We don't need God's laws. We'll be a standard and a law unto ourselves. It's no way to run a society. It's no way to run a nation. And if we do that, all it leads to is lawlessness and anarchy. Why? Because my standard's not your standard. If there's no ultimate authority, if there's no transcendent reality, if, the, if there's no truth beyond ourselves that we are a, a, accountable to, no authority above us, then who's to say what is right and what is wrong? Who's to say what is good and what is evil? Who's to say what is true and what is false? If we're all our own standards, it leads to lawlessness. It leads to anarchy. It leads to blood in the streets. It leads to the mass execution of millions of people. Read the history of the 20th century. Read about Stalin. Read about Hitler. Read about Maoist China. Read about the millions of souls when there's no standard. Did you know in the 21st century, in the 20th century, under godless systems, godless systems, under communism, under fascism, under these godless systems that removed God as the standard, more people were murdered, more lives were lost, hundreds of millions of lives in the 20th century. More lives lost in war in the 20th century than every war combined in the history of, in, up in the history of the world to the 20th century because they removed God's standard of righteousness. Listen, when you don't have God's standard, who, who's to say that murder is evil? Who's to say that murder is wrong? When you're not an image bearer of God, when in your humanity you don't have dignity, value, and worth intrinsic in you because God put it there, if you're just a, if you're just a better looking ape, right? If you're just a hyper-evolved monkey, if we're all just stardust floating around bashing into each other, what difference does any of it make? So then the ultimate becomes power and exercising power and keeping power above all else when you remove God's word and his standard. What about greed and materialism? Do we see that at work in our culture today? I mean, it's just everywhere. It's just rampant. Greed and materialism. People putting things above people. We're starting to see this eroding of law in our country, and lawlessness is taking over. Lawlessness is taking over. All of us have seen the videos of, of people just going into stores and just loading up and walking out. N nobody there to stop them. Nobody there to say, hey, uh, hello, stealing is wrong. Well, by what standard? When you erode the standard of God's word, this is what you end up with. What about gossip and slander? Do, do we have a problem with that in our country? 
Most of what is called news today is gossip and slander. Character assassination. You know, slandering people is a sin. Gossip and slander. What is gossip? That's reporting as facts, things that you don't know to be true. That's gossip. Yes, fake news. Thank you. What about perverted sexuality? What about that? You know, God has clearly defined gender. He's clearly defined sexuality. His design for sex, sexuality, and gender clearly defined in God's Word. There's really no question about what God's Word says. The question is, is God's Word the standard? That's the, that's, that's the question. Is what this book says, is it the standard for human sexuality and gender? And unfortunately, with all of these things, and especially this one, there are those within even the, the church today who are saying, now yeah, maybe this isn't the standard. But the question is, when you get rid of this, what, what else do you have? What, what is your standard now? What is your standard? Where do you draw the lines? If, if this is the standard, it's very clear. If this is not the standard, there is no clarity. There is no clarity. Did you know that there are those today who are advocating to make pedophilia legal? Did you know that that's happening? It is absolutely happening. Groups organizing themselves... People saying, well, I self-identify as a pedophile. That's just who I am. Why? How can that be happening? Well, because there's no standard anymore. It's whatever say you want to believe or say, it goes. But God's word is clear that sexual relations outside of marriage, God-ordained marriage... What is marriage? It is between one man born as a man, one woman born as a woman. That's marriage in covenant, in unity, before God. Everything outside of that is not excellent. Everything outside of that falls short of God's standard. It starts with immodesty. Perverted sexuality starts with immodesty. I can't even go to the mall with my kids anymore. I can't even go to the mall without, you know, asking God for forgiveness, for, for having to divert my eyes from, from, from just the, the, the most, with just so much flesh being put on display. It's immodest. It starts with immodesty. Fornication, that's having sex outside of marriage. Adultery, that's breaking the marriage covenant and vow. Homosexuality, that's sexual relations between two men. Lesbianism, sexual relations between uh, two women. Bisexuality, that's just, you know, going on with both. And then transgenderism now, which is changing your gender, saying that I'm the gender that was assigned to me at birth, not by the doctor, you know, gender's not assigned to you by the doctor at birth. Gender's assigned to you in the womb by God. Now, that's where gender comes from. 
We live in a, in a society that approves of all of these things and celebrates all of these things. Now, we as a church, as Christians, Bible-believing Christians who follow the standard, we're not against lesbians. We're against lesbianism. But we're not against homosexuals. We're against the sin of homosexuality. We're not against bisexuals. We're against the sin of bisexuality. We're not against transgender people. People, let me, let me rephrase that. We're not against people who are identifying themselves as transgender. We are against people rejecting the gender God has assigned to them. We're against people mutilating their bodies. We're against parents injecting their young children full of hormones to destroy what God created. We're not against those people, though. We, we have to understand that. The Bible says, Ephesians chapter 6, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of evil in the heavenly places. And of course, this perverted sexuality. It, it, perversion, I'm, I'm just saying, it, it, it's, it's changed from God's standard. It's deviated from God's standard. This also includes abortion. This also includes abortion. The, the taking of an unborn human life. The taking of an unborn human life. The Bible says that we are human from conception. That the, the, what, is a lot, what is inside the mother's womb is a human life. It is not a clump of cells. It is not a fetus. It is a child of God. And so to take the life of a child, according to the Bible standard, according to the, the definition that God has laid down for us, as Christians, we believe that is murder. Now, we are not against those that have had abortions. But we are against the practice of abortion. We serve a God of grace. We serve a God of mercy. We serve a God of forgiveness. We serve a God who restores. But we also serve a God who has revealed the truth to us. And we cannot be foggy about what God has been clear on. And if you're here this morning, and I know in a room this size, that undoubtedly there are people, there are, excuse me, undoubtedly there are women here today that have had an abortion. I want you to know that God loves you. That God sent his son to die for your sin. So that you could be forgiven of your sin. That you could be forgiven and relieved of that burden of sin. And that you could place it upon Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that having had an abortion does not disqualify you from 
the love of God. It doesn't disqualify you from serving God. The greatest apostle, the apostle Paul, you know what he did before he was saved? He murdered Christians. So if God can use the apostle Paul, he can use any one of us. In fact, Paul, amen. And so the apostle, the apostle Paul says, God chose me the chief of sinners. I was the chief of sinners. And he says, God chose me so that he could put his grace on display so that everyone who comes after me could know that God could save them too because God saved me. Now taking a stand on these issues has become difficult for many Christians. It's become difficult for many Christians. And the reason why is because I believe at our hearts we truly are compassionate people. At, our, at the core of who we are, God has called us to not only love him, but to love others. And it's become hard for us to take a stand on these issues because we feel like if we take a stand on these issues, we are being unloving, that we are not being compassionate. But we are compassionate and we are loving and we do care for people. And so it has become difficult for many Christians to take stands on these issues because, hear me in this, because many people today have made their sin their identity. Amen. They've made their sin their identity. And so they've, they've, they've said, if you reject my sin, you reject me. You see, I don't believe that God ever created a homosexual. I believe that there are children created in the image of God who practice the sin of homosexuality. They need to be forgiven of that sin. So I, I can love the person and reject the sin. But the deception that is creeping through our world, creeping through the school systems, creeping through our culture is that you are that sin. You're not a person who practices homosexuality. You are a homosexual. And so then when we as Christians say, this is not God's way, this is not God's standard, they hear you rejecting me. You don't love me. You, you are against me. And we need to be very clear as Christians, we are not against any people. But we are against sin. And listen to this. You are not your sin. You are not your sin. You are made in the image of God. You are not your sin. That is one of the biggest traps of the enemy, that you are your sin. Whatever sin it is, no. And in fact, when we come to Christ, we receive a new identity. We are a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so we as Christians, we, we must be careful. We must be compassionate. We must be loving. 
And we must also stand for the truth. We must also stand for the truth. We do not reject people, but we do reject sin. And we call people to the standard of God's righteousness. And guess what? We all fall short. But we must humble ourselves before God in repentance and faith and walk with him. And I truly believe that the most loving thing that you can do with, for anyone is to tell them the truth. I really believe that. If someone's about to drive over a cliff and you don't tell them, if you don't warn them, if you don't do everything you can to stop them, you have, you are op, you're not operating in love. That the most loving thing that we can do is to share the truth. As a pastor, I have personally seen the disastrous effects wrought on people's lives when they live a life of sin, especially those who live a life of sexual sin. Oh, I forgot pornography. Let me just lump that in there too. Pornography. 100% a sin. 100%. If you're struggling with pornography, come to one of the pastors. Come to one of your elders. Ask for prayer from one of the deacons. You don't have to live in bondage to sexual sin. The Bible says, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Listen, there is freedom in Christ. I stand before you today as living proof of the power of God to set people free. You do not have to live in bondage to sin. I've seen the bondage, I've seen the brokenness, I've seen the devastation, I've seen the death. I've seen the death. And it is heartbreaking and it begins with deception. They call it gay, but trust me, there is no ultimate joy there. Of course, this is not the image that is portrayed on TVs and movie and social media. This is not the narrative that's shared on TikTok and Instagram. But this is the truth that is presented in God's word. And it is the reality that ultimately is borne out. We are not against any one person or any group of people. But we do stand for what is right. We do stand for what God has said is excellent. So, in conclusion today, I want, to think, I want you to think about your life. I want you to think about your walk with the Lord. You know, I, see, I asked that question earlier. Are, are there things in my life that I am approving of that is not excellent? The things in my life that I have approved of, that I've allowed in, that I've allowed to creep in, Maybe it's been a slow erosion. Maybe at one time I did have some standards and, and we did follow those and, and I had those convictions that I held from the word of God, but over time and, and over the course of life that those have been eroded. I believe God is calling us all today back to a higher standard. Back to a higher standard. Ephesians 4.16 says, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Are we making the best use of our time? 
You know, I mentioned my dad that he only ever went to four movies in his whole life. It's not because he didn't enjoy movies, but because he was laser focused on what God had called him to do with his life. And so he didn't spend a lot of time just wasting time. He didn't spend a lot of time just chilling out and kicking back. He devoted his life, his time to the things that advanced the kingdom of God, that advanced the work of God. His time was ultimately a lot shorter than we thought it was going to be. The Lord called him home at 58 years old. We don't know how much time we have. For all of us, our time is short. We must make the best use of time. We must redeem our time. If we're not redeeming our time, if we're not using it on what is excellent, I do believe that we are living in sin. I do believe that we are not living according to God's standard that we have here. You know, this past week, I got to go to some missions conferences. I spent some time with some missionaries, people who are doing great things for God, people that God is using to just do awesome things all over the world. And sometimes we think of missionaries as sort of these superheroes. But let me tell you something. They're flesh and blood just like you and I. You cut them, they bleed. They don't get lunch on time, they get hangry. All right? I mean, they're just... But you know what they've done? They've said yes to the call of God on their life. But listen, it's not just the missionary that has a call of God on his life. It's not just the pastor that has a call of God on his life. Every saint, every single one of you here has a call of God on your life. Has a ministry unto the Lord. You may not be called to go to Africa or go to China or go to Transnististan. Maybe you're called to be here, but you're called to live for God. You're called to be a missionary here. You're called to advance the kingdom of God here. And so often the church, the people of God, are just so distracted by trivial things, by things that ultimately have no eternal value. Are the things that you're doing, are they contributing to the call of God on your life? Or are they eroding your standards, eroding your convictions? I'm not here to condemn anybody today, but just like I prayed at the beginning of this sermon, I am praying that the Holy Spirit would convict your heart of some things today. Because we need some standards in the church today. We need the people of God to have some convictions today. I can give you a list of my standards, but it's not about me. I could give you a list of my dad's standards, but it's not about him. It's about God's standard. And guess what? You have the Holy Spirit alive inside of you. And what you need to do is you need to go and get in your prayer closet, get before God, open up his word, say, Lord, what are the standards? What are the convictions that I need for my life? Uh, according to your word, what are the standards for me? What are the standards for my house? What are the standards for our marriage? What are the standards for our family? You have the Holy Spirit of God alive inside of you. You have the word of God just like I do. If you need help with it, we'll help you. But you, you need to do this for yourself. You need to establish these convictions and these standards in your life. Write them down. Pray over them with your spouse. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you to fulfill these, to work through them. And I know that as we do, he will always help us. Amen?